Welcome to the Pain of Scale, the Notion Podcast. Hi and welcome back to the Notion Podcast. Hi Stephen, as always, how are you? I'm good, Paul, and you? Very, very good. Who are we inviting today to talk with us, Stephen? I'm really pleased to invite Vasco Pedro, who is the CEO of a company called Unbabble, an investment we made a couple of years ago. And Vasco is a real inspiration in his business and the challenge he's undertaking, which is, I think, a fundamental part of how global organizations can accelerate the shift to a world without language barriers. Hi, Vasco. Hi, Paul. Hi, Stephen. Thank you very much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. I think you are based in Lisbon, correct? Yes, that's true. So your weather is much better than we have here in London. You're very, very lucky. <laughs> yeah, well, it seems to me that uh, London is getting some of the good weather of Lisbon. We had. <laughs> Might be a, sh- a shift in the weather pattern. And I'm also very excited because according to the definition I just heard from Stephen, what you're basically developing is Star Trek. So that's very cool. So maybe, uh, Stephen, do you want to give us a little bit of context of what did we invite Vasco with us? Yeah, so we're going to be talking about the challenge of internationalization. For any any company, but really for European enterprise technology companies, most of them obviously are are based within one single market or territory. Unbabble is based out of Portugal. If they want to build a global leading business, a category defining business, they need to be thinking, being a global player and internationalizing, thinking about when and how to internationalize their business is a critical decision and it has profound implications from a strategic, commercial, organizational and product perspective. So I'm fascinated to talk to Vasco about this because he's in the throes of a rapid growth phase and and internationalizing his business. But what's really fascinating about Unbabble is that Unbabble is a translation as a service. So using a combination of machine learning, AI and, and a crowd to help global brands translate customer content and queries in real time. So breaking down those language barriers. So he's helping his customers to internationalize as well. So yeah, really looking forward to the conversation. Did you start Vasco, your, your company in Portugal? We did. We started the company in August 2013 mm-hmm. uh, in Lisbon. Our goal initially, the first about a month and a half, was really almost to prove ourselves that we we could build something that was able to do a little bit of what we imagined. And so we we very quickly developed initial prototype. And then after that, we decided to apply to Y Combinator. And we were successful. So we were the first Portuguese company to go through Y Combinator. And that meant we were five co-founders and we moved to Y Combinator in end of December, beginning of January of 2014, and did the Winter 14 program. And then after that, one of the founders stayed in San Francisco. Three of the founders moved to Lisbon. The idea was we're going to develop the product tech, pretty much all aspects of of the company in Lisbon, but still have a presence in San Francisco. And then I, I started going back and forth. And then over a couple of years, the company developed mostly in Lisbon. So by the time we did our Series A, we had about 25 people, out of which 24 were in Lisbon. And post-years, that was really when we started going after the market. I think it kind of took three years to start understanding what was a little bit of our sweet spot and having the technology mature enough that, that we could really take it to market. That was very exciting once once we got to that spot. You were the reason, basically, that Web Summit decided to move to Lisbon, right? <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah. I mean, you know, once once we were in Lisbon, Web Summit had no choice but to move. <laughs> no, but it was, it was a, it's funny. We've been benefiting a lot from being lucky with the timing and the right conditions at the right time. And it's very easy to overlook it sometimes. But I had moved back to Portugal in 2011 
after spending 10 years in the US. And then I met my CTO and co-founder, João, and he also was coming back from the US from his PhD. We were really getting together at a time where Portugal was going through the height of austerity. And we were at this point where we knew that we wanted to create a meaningful company in Portugal. That was one of the goals. But we kind of caught this trend, right? The beginning of entrepreneurship in Portugal. It was the year that Beta I started. It was the year that Startup Lisbon started going. And all these factors that we caught the tail end of austerity where people were very open to joining new things. And they were much more likely to say, you know what, my, my job stability is not really what it was anymore. So why shouldn't I risk it? So there was more of this feeling of like, let's risk it. Let's do something to try and change things. And, and I think Web Summit follows that way, right? So of if course. you look four years later, Lisbon is going, starting to do really well. You're starting to have uh, very interesting companies coming out of there from TalkDesk, Uniplaces, to Unbabel, to Farfetch is growing well in the north. You have oh, yeah. like the Cedars also in Lisbon. So this core of companies, they're just starting to get traction and creating this ecosystem. And for us, as a company in Lisbon, we felt there were a lot of advantages, but there were some challenges that we need to be aware of from the beginning. And one of them is, you know, your customers are going to be outside of Portugal and your investors are most likely going to be outside of Portugal. And events and things you need to attend where you need to promote and babble is probably also going to be outside of Portugal. You're going to end up with a lot of motions that you're going to have to do outside of Portugal while you're building the bulk of the company in, in Lisbon, which means attracting talent to Lisbon, recruiting the right people, and kind of having all of that happening. Uh, that's a challenge and that a lot of companies in Portugal and in smaller markets when they want to go global face from day one. But fortunately, that's not impossible anymore. I think you've really kind of set this up incredibly well. And if you come to the end of that, post the series A, you kind of build out the tech, you really start to get your head around what the problem was you were solving and who you're going to be solving it for. As you said, Portugal and Lisbon in particular, great places of a thriving tech ecosystem, but nowhere near big enough to build a, a global business. So you need to be international, you need to globalize. How have you made the decisions about when, where, and how to expand globally? And, and, and where do you see the greatest opportunity for, for Unbabel going forward? We've had always a bit of a presence in San Francisco. We felt it was important to have some sort of anchor. I think even from a, a positioning perspective, to our customers, to our investors, we used to joke and say it was easier to sell to Portuguese companies from San Francisco than from Lisbon. Uh, because there's this perception yeah, or for, for European companies, for sure. It's much easier to say, hey, we're in San Francisco. Yeah. We're a tech startup in Silicon Valley. People listen more and they're more likely to want to try things. And so even from perception, it was kind of important for us to have enough of a presence there that we could legitimately say, yeah, you know, we have a founder there. But it's very different to have one person versus saying, yeah, we're going to invest in creating a proper team here and to have a presence in expanding. Last year, when we looked at potential markets for us, and very much in line with what's going on in language markets, Europe as a whole is the biggest market, but it's very fragmented. And selling in Germany and selling in France and selling in the UK are very different things. German companies need the ability to connect with another German person. They need people to sell to them in German. It kind of feeds into the whole thesis of Unbabel, right? That you, you need to speak your customer's language in order to interact with them. When you need to sell to a certain market, you need to have a little bit of a presence in that market. You need to find intermediaries. You need to find people that can communicate in the local language. In Europe, that's very visible, especially in Spain, France, and Germany. Then after that, you have US. About 50% of global companies are headquarters in the US. So we kind of knew US was going to be a big market for us. And then what we started seeing was in terms of Asia, that it's the fastest growing market, a lot driven by China, 
reaching a certain level of maturity with their companies and Chinese companies starting to want to expand beyond the Chinese economy. So this January, we raised our Series B. Part of the goal was with our eye on, on globalization and kind of stronger internationalization. And we decided the first market beyond Europe was going to be the US. So at that point, we had one person in San Francisco, but we felt wasn't nearly enough. And so we started by establishing the beginning of a team in New York. So we have a New York office and we're growing that team. And now the team in San Francisco. And as a way to accelerate that expansion, I'm spending the next six months in San Francisco helping to get that team off the ground. I just wanted to tie back to the people challenge associated with this. Yes. As you said, when uh, when we led the Series A, you were 25 people. How many today? We're 160. Oh, wow. And let's look forward and say end of 2019. Between 300 and 400. So as you grow like that, how do you ensure that your home business Lisbon, the heartbeat of the product and the tech, continues to thrive? And then how do you intend to build a culture that's going to work as you scale at that speed? Those are two great questions. Um, So on continuing to make sure that Lisbon functions as the heart and keeps pumping blood to the whole system in an efficient manner, I think one of the key challenges is really to hire the right leaders for the company. And I have to thank primarily Notion and specifically Stephen and Chris to making me understand more of this, of how important this is. There was some stuff that you guys were saying when we closed our A that resonated, but I wasn't really able to understand them on continuously upgrade your team, on how do you find uh, game changers and hire game changers. Like all of that was sometimes as a founder, you have this Ubris, right? You're, you're saying we're here, we've made it so far, so we're enough. That's all we need is us. We just need to keep going. And you hear this thing of some founders can't scale with the company. You're like, losers, that's somebody else, right? That's not us. But then once the team starts growing, you start facing some challenges that it makes you start to understand really and appreciate the challenges. And why is it that finding people that have that experience and are able to really come in and help you get to that level really makes a difference. And part of that is a lot of times you don't have time to learn. It's not that the people that you have in your team aren't smart and aren't able to learn. It's just learning takes takes time. And it, it, it comes with making a certain set of mistakes that you need to do to learn. And that takes time also. And so realistically, you don't have that many shots. You have a few shots to get things that you need done. done. And the sooner you can get there, the faster you can get there, the more likelihood it is that you're going to be able to become a big organization. And for us, that meant, for example, when we looked in the sales leadership role, we really didn't have experience. And it was finding Wolf, who is our chief customer officer, and getting him to join the company was a a game changer for us, not only from a practical perspective, so things that he did right away, things like looking at our pricing scheme and being saying like, nope, like we're throwing this away, we're doing this other way. But even when you come up with certain challenges that before would take us hours debating and analyzing and researching and having someone says, guys, I've done this five times and here's what we're going to do, we're going to do this. And you're like, yeah, everybody understands, kind of really feels the credibility of the experience of the person and it bypasses the entire set of discussions and revisiting old topics and coming up with new solutions when it's like, yeah, no, let's not reinvent the wheel, this works. So Wolf was one and then Wolf being able to recruit also a team for sales and kind of expanding the organization. And then now with Series B, we hired a COO and it's been having an amazing impact. We were coming up to 120 people, I think, and we could see the growth. And we didn't have the experience in the organization of people that had grown a company from 100 to 200 to 300. And of how do we improve internal communication? How do we improve communication with our customers? How do we scale the customers' support organization? And Carmen Perry, which you've had in your program already, 
has been doing this incredible job at Babel. It was the fact that Carmen joined that freed me to be able to feel that I could spend six months in San Francisco and really help get that team off the ground. And I think for me, the important bit was starting the process of going from a founder to a CEO, finding the people that could help me that transition and let go. You need to let go to grow. If you don't let go, you really don't have the ability to hire the people that are good enough and give them enough autonomy for them to do the things that they need to do. So it was recognizing where, how do I need to grow? And, and this happens to all the founders. So they're not all growing at the same level within the organization. And part of that, and it ties back to the whole culture question, is how do we set up a culture that is strong enough that when that moment comes, you don't have infighting, you don't have founders saying, no, no, wait, but I'm a founder of this company. I need to be the VP of whatever. And understanding that we're really working as a team for the benefit of the company. And it doesn't mean you're less valuable. It doesn't mean you stop being a founder. It just means that right now we need somebody else to do this role. The three points is, one, how do you keep company functioning? You hire the people that have the experience, have done it, that fit the culture, and you give them autonomy to help you and help everybody grow the company. Two is you have to start with the right culture. You have to be mindful of it. For us, that meant a very strong bond between the founders that was maintained very carefully and very purposefully throughout the time, even if you know we weren't in the same physical location, but making sure that we had enough time together it's not just about work, it's about spending enough time together that you didn't let the emotional debt accumulate between the founders. And then you need to permeate that throughout the entire company. So we do a yearly retreat, three days, and it's a great opportunity to work on some particular aspects of our culture. Two retreats ago, it was the first time we codified the Inbabel values, the declaration of interdependence. We're all interdependent within this company and we're trying to achieve something together. And so what are the basic principles by which we want to rule ourselves? So what are the rights and obligations of the individual versus the company? And so more and more, we're realizing that the retreat is an amazing space to work on culture. And then, of course, the ongoing, right? So we have a lot of events. We have a lot of moments where people get together beyond work, whether it is surfing every week, we have soccer, we have paddle, we have lunch on Tuesdays, we have all hands on Fridays. There's a lot of life outside of the work life for Babel. And that seems to be working for us. The side effect of that is that creates a very office-centric culture. So it's very strong and people in Lisbon love the Lisbon office. They love the, the office life, but it means that it makes it harder for anybody that is remote. It creates this big FOMO, this feeling that everything is happening at the Lisbon office and you're kind of not there. And so you can have remote teams, but you need a team. Like having a remote person, very quickly, they, they start feeling very detached from the company because there's so much things happening in the Lisbon office that they're not a part of. They can't keep up. I love the notion of the declaration of interdependence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all our babblers are created equal. Do you build that into your hiring? Do you look for people who ascribe to these values? Yes and no. So a year ago, we didn't have an HR department, people ops, as we call it. Uh, everything was very ad hoc, and we now do. And so as we're scaling the codification of those values in terms of what we're looking for, that's happening now. So the whole metaphor of startups of you're building the parachute as you fall down, hoping that it works by the end, it also works at the organization level. This gives you a really interesting freedom of the way you build things. Part of that is hiring people with experience and not reinventing the wheel. But it's also interesting to try to feel where is it that we're different, right? Because every company that has been successful at a global level has something different in them. They innovate not just on the product or technology, but they innovate usually in some other little aspect. And so trying to understand 
where is it that we're different? And how can we innovate in some of these processes? How can we say this is the invaluable way of doing things? I think it's a very interesting challenge. It'd be interesting just to turn this around and say, how does Unbabble help companies globalize? I mean, you talk about breaking down language barriers and helping your customers to talk the language of their customers. We help in a number of different ways, but I would say the, the core focus of what we're doing right now is customer service. We fundamentally remove languages as a variable of the equation of serving customers. Right now, if you want to provide customer service in a number of different languages globally, you end up with a bunch of different teams spread around the globe to handle different languages. And that makes it really hard to scale. What we do for companies nowadays is we enable them to have the operational agility to deal with this in a much more efficient manner. Let's say that a company uses Salesforce, for example. They add our plugin, and that means that every one of their English-speaking agents can provide customer support in any of the 28 languages that we currently support. They can service long-tail languages, but also they can superpower their agents. Uh, every single one of their customer requests is answered in the right language, and is answered by someone that actually understands the product and doesn't have to care about what language they're answering in. What we see from our customers, the feedback has been amazing. I feel that the market is shifting towards us. Three years ago, it was so novel, this idea of detaching language as a factor from the actual service, that there was education that had to happen. There was other factors that need to come together. Now what we're seeing is suddenly it's no longer so foreign. Like, oh, wow, that's an amazing innovation. Once they get it, it starts opening up all the capabilities they can do inside. That really speeds up the, the whole sales process, for example. How about, and you hinted at it through the hires you've made, how about the culture within Unbabbles? How do you deal with different expectations from different people? Because I've myself, for instance, I've lived in countries like Japan, I've lived in the Philippines, I live now in London. I'm clearly not a Brit. I was not born here. And every single type of business interaction but also friendly interaction brings an entire set of challenges, understanding the unsaid, read between the lines. Is that something that you found yourself easy to deal with over time, or is it something that you're still learning? We're definitely still learning. I, th I think one of the choices that we made from the beginning is that Embalvo is going to be an international company that happened to be in Portugal and not a Portuguese company by culture. And we've been trying very hard from the beginning of having enough critical mass of non-Portuguese in the Portuguese team. My ideal situation is where every conversation has at least one non-Portuguese person so that it always happens in English. The official language of the company is English. If you go to our offices, there are signs saying, you know, from this point on, English only, even if it's two Portuguese people in the kitchen talking about what they did in the wow. weekend. Part of that is because it's harder for other people to come in, right? So about 40% of the company is not Portuguese in Lisbon. And a lot of the important interactions that create the bonds are not necessarily work-related. They are water level, cooler, the water cooler yes. conversation type of thing, right? And so if you go to the water cooler, the you know, metaphorical water cooler, and the conversation is happening in Portuguese, you don't join in. And that's especially ironic given... That in Babel, the whole point is making language yeah. not an issue. It's still it's still a challenge. For example, one of the experience of a newcomer to be completely smooth, having lived in different countries, you know, it's hard to move. And Lisbon is becoming more and more appealing for non-Portuguese people. But, you know, it's still easier to attract someone to move to New York or to London than it is to attract to Lisbon. Yeah. We're, in essence, we are hiring the best people in the world. And the people that we're hiring are people that also have other options. When you look, for example, in artificial intelligence, we're competing with Facebook and Google and, and you know, all of the big companies. So we need to provide an experience that makes them feel 
happy with the choice that they make from the moment that they say yes, right? Not just in terms of recruiting, but once they say yes, we're joining this company, the whole process of onboarding, of coming to Unbabel should be something that just reinforces the choices that you've made and make you feel like you made a good decision. And that means making the process smooth, making it super easy when you come in to help you navigate the bureaucracy, finding a place to live. If you have family or kids, kind of how can we help there? That's also part of the culture. We're still evolving. We've tried a few different approaches inside the company. And so I find that every three to six months, there's some new aspect of the company that's being innovated on, whether it is how we're communicating internally. For example, until now, We've had on Tuesday numbers. So Tuesday is about Tuesday lunch. Everybody gets together. And it's about like KPIs of the company. And then mm-hmm. Friday is all hands. It's kind of a proud moment of, oh, here's the amazing things we're working on. And you might not know what this team is doing, but here's what they're doing. And it's really cool. But that scaled up to a certain point. And now that we have more people in the office, it's harder to fit everybody in that one space. And we have more people outside of the office. It kind of creates different challenges. We're now iterating again on, uh, for example, even small things like we have about 30 teams and we want on Friday on all hands to have a high point, low point of the week of that team. Mm -hmm. That's 30 updates, right? And immediately took like half an hour. And now we're like, wait, this is way too much. People won't retain of this information. So how do we move this up? That is so crucial. The bigger you are, the more important that is. And improve because I'm sure that it won't be the same at 300 people. It's a big challenge. So yeah, kudos to you guys for actually thinking about all that in advance, really. No, thank you. What does the future hold for Unbabble from a global perspective? Our ambition ultimately is to be a, a truly global company. There hasn't been a company that has tackled this problem and solved this problem yet. It's about a $40 billion market, and yet the biggest company in it does about $500 million of revenue. So it's very, very fragmented, and most of it's because it's a translation company. It's not a tech company. Uh, it doesn't really scale globally. We're seeing continuing to grow in Europe, continue to grow in the US, launch in Asia, I would expect that in five years, we'll have strong presence in pretty much all continents. But the very nature of how technology is going to impact the way companies communicate across the globe, it's also going to change. So we're seeing not only the the kind of bread and butter that we're seeing right now with customer service and, and making that process completely seamless and easy to do in any language, but expanding that throughout the other functions and processes in the company, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, whether it is any internal communication or external, making it super easy for a company to function in a global economy. And then there's other stuff beyond that. So we look at language as data. It's kind of an asset of a company. All the interactions of this company, internally or externally, their data flow within a company that goes sometimes from the outside in, from sometimes from the inside out. And what we're also interested and excited about is building the layer on top of that, right? Building the understanding. The mission of Unbabel is to build universal understanding. We feel that what we're doing now is just the first layer of that, is enabling to deal with the data that flows within companies, in this case, specifically language data. But then once you start building things on top of that, that enable you to understand what's happening underneath, I think you will unlock even higher orders of value. For example, managers understanding what's going on in their team, independently of the language that their team is interacting across the globe, that will unlock the next phase of the battle. And then we have uh, ideas for more, but... uh, it's a little bit far-fetched. <laughs> no, thanks, Vasco. It's been absolutely fascinating. I'm hugely excited to see what you and your team will achieve over the coming five years. Very exciting um, mission that you have. Thank you very much, Paul. And thank you, Stephen. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Thank you.